Don't you go ahead and take your Bibles. Go to First Peter chapter three with me. What a great morning it's been already. Oh, just a great morning. So I'm uh, excited to be with you. <laughs> Uh, I did take a few weeks off. No, I did not have COVID. I have been asked. It is not the case. I do have seasonal allergies, which at this point is probably what it felt like for those people living during the time of the Salem witch trials. Because every time you're like, (coughs) I was like, I don't have COVID. It's allergies. Leave me alone. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... so, um, we're jumping back into 1 Peter 3 after a few weeks away from it. Uh, I think it's already been said, but I will, I will echo it. Um, it's been a great couple weeks of just being able to be reminded of our mission and vision as a church. It's been fantastic. And last Sunday was just a blast. Um, I, I didn't hear it from where I was, but afterwards a number of you told me that my voice was ringing off of the hills. I'm sure the neighbors are appreciative of that. Now they know what you deal with every Sunday. So... Um, but we want to jump back into to 1 Peter, and if you've forgotten what's been going on in 1 Peter, is, is Peter's been reminding his friends, his church, where their true citizenship is. He's reminding them that as they look around, that actually in this land, in this country, whatever country they find themselves in, they're just pilgrims passing through, and that their lives must more accurately reflect that truth. Um, I've been struck. We, we do a, a morning devotional at 6 o'clock uh, on Facebook, just behind the scenes, a little secret. I don't record it at 6 o'clock. You don't have to watch it at 6 o'clock. You can watch it anytime you want. But we're walking through the book of Ephesians together, and I've been captivated for the past few, uh, it's actually a couple of weeks now, with that, that saying in Ephesians, I think it's chapter 4, where Paul tells the church at Ephesus to walk worthy of the calling to which they've been called. And it causes you to stop just for a moment and to consider, so what is this calling to which I've been called? And that calling is this. You have been invited into a relationship with God himself through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the calling to which you've been called. That that is a crazy invitation, an offer of grace that is completely undeserved. And as a result... To walk worthy of that invitation, to walk worthy of that calling means you and I must live differently. We must look different than everybody around us and the world around us. We must look different in the way that we live as citizens. We must look different in the way that we work. We must look different in the way that we handle difficulty, even when we're treated unfairly. We must look differently in the way that we love our husbands or the way we love our wives, especially when times are tough or we're feeling mistreated. We need to respond to difficult times in ways that are noticeably different from the world around us. And we can when we follow the example of Jesus Christ that was laid out for us to continue to entrust ourselves into the hands of the one just judge. And when we live like that, when we entrust ourselves into his hands, then we live differently. Now today, Peter is going to walk us through another practical application of being different. And he's going to lay out for us what it looks like to deal with difficult people. Any of you have any difficult people in your life? Don't point. Raise your hand. <laughs> um, 
I, I think we can all relate to that. And, and I don't, when I say difficult people, I, I don't mean they're difficult because they cheer for a different team or they like a different pizza place or a different vacation spot or a favorite band. I mean real difficulty that are coming out of real disagreements, emotional disagreements. So, so I need you to bear with me. I, 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 um, I did this with the online service and actually I had to kind of go back and clarify a little bit in a comment. And I want to make sure I clarify at the front here, maybe again at the end. First of all, this is not complaining, okay? That's first. Secondly, um, disagreement is okay. So what I want to lay out for you is just kind of maybe, maybe give you a little understanding of, of what disagreements look like in my life in the last six months, okay? So here are some disagreements. Now, these aren't difficult people who disagree with me. That's not what I'm saying, but here are some of the disagreements that lay at the foundation, and I'll, I'll kind of apply that in a second, but, I, but just stick with me. Here, last six months, in no exaggeration, these are my emails, phone calls, text messages, and conversations. You must open the church immediately. You must keep the church closed. You must have kids' ministry as soon as possible. There ain't no chance my kids go into kids' ministry. By opening, you are signing the death certificate of everyone who gathers. By staying closed, you're compromising the gospel. We should do outdoor services every week. We should never do another outdoor service. Frank, I hate when you talk about racism from the pulpit. Knock it off. Frank, you need to address racism far more often from the pulpit. You need to make it abundantly clear to everyone who calls Uniontown home that they must not vote for... You must make it abundantly clear to everyone who calls Uniontown home that they must vote for... Now, now see, I know, I, know, I know some of you are like, ah, that doesn't, it happens! I don't know if you remember, a few months back, we did a survey. Actually, we had a huge amount of you participate in that survey. Almost over 300 people answering a survey, which is unheard of. That was a, a, a return that we did not expect. And when we looked down at the basic issues and did the basic math, I am not exaggerating, it was 42% on that extreme and 42% on that extreme. There's a win-win. Now, now listen, disagreeing isn't the issue that, that Peter's dealing with. The issue that Peter's dealing with is when those people who disagree with you add on top of their disagreement this next statement. If you don't, or if you continue to, then I'm... Basically what it amounts to is I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. How in the world are you supposed to handle that? How are you supposed to react? How are you supposed to respond to that? This, these are people who, I, and I, I believe this, who, who not only do I love, but love me. How do I deal with that? How do you deal with that? Now, now there's a whole other uh, issue, a whole other pile of issues and matters that exist outside of what a local church conversation would be. I mean, so, so there are people in the community who, 
who are vitriolic and angry because of our view on abortion, our view on the definition of marriage, our view on the LGBTQ issues. How are we supposed to respond when they come on the attack about those things? How, how, (laughs) it's been plenty of time, I can use this now. How are we supposed to respond when somebody straight up lies about me, about the church in their social media posts, making accusations, spreading false rumors, spreading lies, and even making threats? How are we supposed to respond to that? More important than all of those things, how are we supposed to respond when people attack us because we make the very clear statement that Jesus is the one true Son of God who came to die and give his life as a ransom for you who are sinners and unable to do anything about your sin yourself because you are so totally depraved and all of your attempts to build up righteousness in God's sight amount to nothing more than building up piles of garbage. And they don't like that. So they can do some very nasty things. They can say some terrible things. They can post some awful things. They will slander you. They will slander me. They will slander the church. They will call us names. They will insult us. They will do all those things. How do you react to that? I'll tell you how I want to react. But I guarantee you, my natural reflex to those things is wrong. Peter says, no, no, no. Be different. Be different. Let's look at our passage. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8, says this. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. But on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called to this so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. The face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. How are we supposed to respond to difficult people? Let me, uh, just kind of an aside here for you. As I look at these verses, I see two groups of people, and I'm not going to drive this this home and make such a big deal about it, but I do think very specifically that there are a few of these things that Peter says that must and can only be applied to other believers. And so what he's basically saying is there are times you are going to find that some of the most difficult people in your life are other believers. And here's how you need to deal with them. So I think you see both here, and I'll point out some of those very specific ones. In fact, I think the very first one that he mentions can only be applied to other believers. Look at verse 8. He says, all of you be like-minded. To be like-minded means to pursue unity. To pursue unity. He's not saying uniformity of thought. He's not suggesting that every Christian must think the same about everything. But there is a profound unity in mind, in heart, in belief when you become become a Christian. And, And that unity doesn't come 
as a result of, of education. It doesn't come as a result of programs, softball games, or t-shirts saying, look how unified we are. I mean, I love those things. But true unity comes as we understand that as different as we are as people from one another in education, financial standing, employment, ethnicity, culture. When Jesus Christ came and reconciled us to God, he also reconciled us together, making us one. Peter is saying when another brother or sister in Jesus Christ is difficult, your number one priority needs to be to remember the big picture and pursue unity. He says pursue unity and be sympathetic. That word sympathetic means to have a fellow feeling. It means to share a feeling in common. That, that can be joy or sorrow. Let me throw this up here in front of you. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That is the definition of this sympathy that Peter is talking about. Real sympathy in this context isn't saying a nice word or two to somebody who's had a bad day. Sympathy in this context with truly difficult people, that they're coming at you, they are frustrated, they're irritated, they fully disagree with you. Your first thing is to remember the big picture and pursue unity. Your second thing is to drive to share and understand their feelings. If you're sympathetic, you're going to ask yourself the question in the middle of this difficulty, do I really understand their perspective? What hurt lies behind what's coming out of them right now? Well, even, even why in the world does that ideology resonate so deeply in them? That makes no sense to me. It's completely contrary to me. Why, why do they feel like that? But we are so quick to just write them off because they disagree with us. But they disagree with me. They're not worthy of the time it takes for me to try to feel, to try to engage their experience, because they're... And the first answer comes, wrong. Which means you must be right about everything. I'm not saying you have to agree with them. But sympathy means you try to see things through their eyes. You try to feel things with their feels. Here's another one that's applied to other believers. Not only are you supposed to pursue unity and be sympathetic, you're supposed to love one another. Brotherly love and evidence of being family. How important is it to love like that? We skip over that. We're like, oh, you know, we just have brotherly love. No, no, this is a command. You must exercise and demonstrate brotherly love one towards another. You know how important it is? 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 says this. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Please, please, please. This, this isn't me. That's why I'm showing so many verses this morning. This is God's word commanding you to love one another. We skip over that so quickly. We need to resist that temptation. This is incredibly significant for us. This is the spirit that comes out of, out of Romans chapter 14, which I don't have time to dive into. But Romans chapter 14, Paul is dealing with these incredibly uh, emotional and sensitive issues between the Jews and the Gentiles. And there's a deep divide between the two groups regarding meat 
if you can eat meat or not eat meat. And it's all this, this, this whole discussion that happens. And what you find when you read Romans 14, Paul had a very definite reason for feeling the way he did about that issue. In fact, he had scripture to, 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 to lean on as support. So he was coming at it from a conviction level. In the middle of this divisive, emotional issue between Jew and Gentile, Paul says, okay, I have an opinion. It's informed by Scripture. This is what I believe is true. But Paul said, I would rather downplay my conviction on this issue than to see disagreement destroy the unity of the body of Christ. That's love. You, you care more about your brothers and sisters in Christ than you do about having your opinion heard. And that, that is... I, I told my wife walking out, I was like, I gotta be really careful. I can go off the rails anytime during this message. I think one of the greatest dangers, difficulties, and, 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 and traumas that's inflicted on the American public today is that everybody has a microphone. Everybody. And so I want to be heard. Bam! And so I use this microphone that is now mine, and I just blast it out there, not considering the ramifications, certainly not considering the call of God in your life to be different. It's not up to us to advance our opinions at the expense of other people. What Paul said is, my biblically informed conviction about this matter does not raise to the level of gospel. So I will gladly defer against that so that the gospel can be paramount, so that the gospel can be seen. Friends, that's, that's the way you and I are supposed to be living in this incredibly dark and broken world. You're not supposed to walk like them. You're not supposed to talk like them. You're not supposed to live like them. It's supposed to be different. Be like-minded, pursue unity, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate. This is our favorite word here at Uniontown Bible Church. This is the Greek word that some of you will remember. It always sticks in your head once I say it. It's in Mark chapter 6. We discussed how Jesus saw compassion in the crowds who were hungry. This is the Greek word, oh yeah, splagnizo. I have a t-shirt that has splagnizo on it now because of that message. Splagnizo, and it means exactly what it sounds like, gut. It's deep in your guts, and the idea of this compassion is I have this gut-wrenching feeling inside of me that I cannot allow, allow just to stay inside of me. It becomes an action. That's compassion. It doesn't stop with just a feeling. It doesn't stop with just sympathy. It moves to the place where your love for another person is put into action as you seek unity with each other. That's how you're supposed to respond with difficult people. Finally, it says, and with humility. Humility means to make yourself low. It, it means to come without boasting. It means to view others as more important than yourself. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should know full well that there is absolutely no place in your life for boasting. You're sinners in the sight of God, deserving his displeasure. And you have no hope of changing that apart from the very mercy of God. There is nothing in yourself 
to boast about it. If you've been saved, you have been saved by grace. You have been saved by the work of another. You've been saved by his mighty hand, delivering you from the chains of sin that held you in slavery, setting you free, giving you a new heart, and you did nothing to earn it or deserve it. It was given to you. And yet somehow, somehow, we have found the arrogance to view other people as less than us, as we boost ourselves. Peter says, no, no, be like-minded, pursue unity, sympathetic, love one another, compassionate, marked with humility, and then he continues, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. Not paying back evil for evil. That word evil means exactly that, bad actions. Not paying back insult for insult. That word means slander, gossip, the insults that are thrown against you. Now, let's, let's be completely clear. When somebody insults you, your natural response is to insult back, right? That's, just, that's your natural response. That is your, your natural reflex. I don't know why this just came to mind. When my wife and I were dating, it's amazing that we're together. There's a lot of reasons it's amazing we're together. But when we were dating... We did this weird, flirty, goofy game where we would just throw insults at each other and whoever stopped first lost. Sounds like a foundation for a good relationship, doesn't it? Um, sorry, that just came to mind. But, but that's the idea is you just respond with insult. You can respond with insult. But, but, but to not respond is contrary to human nature, which is why Peter's telling us to be careful. Because it doesn't come naturally. That's the essence of the Christian life, living contrary to our old and fallen nature. Again, Ephesians tells us we're to, to put off the old self and renew ourselves in the spirit of our minds and put on the new self that is given to us through Jesus Christ. What, what, what Peter says here is, listen, you, you need to put off speech with a snarl. It has no place in the Christian. Anybody else super uncomfortable? Well, good news, it's about to get worse. Be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for the, with insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. <laughs> what? What? Peter says, those people who are incredibly difficult, who just grind you every which way possible, who just irritate you and push you beyond the line, who continue to attack you, who insult you, who do evil towards you, you're not supposed to respond to them. Instead, what you need to do is give a blessing. What is that? Well, don't worry. It's not some holy hocus pocus. You don't need to like learn formulas. Giving a blessing is simply asking God to show his favor, to show his grace upon those people who are bringing evil against you or insults against you, who are people who you greatly disagree with, you are commanded not to ask God to infest their beds with fleas. You are commanded to ask that God would reveal himself in grace and mercy to them as he has to you. Why? Since you were called for this. 
Since you were called for this, what is this calling that he's speaking of? It's the invitation that is extended to you and made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ that you and God, the holy God of the universe, might be reconciled. And because of that calling, that invitation, you have been called to be different. You have been called to be a blessing to those who are evil towards you, who insult you, who are difficult to you. Peter tells us right here, we are called to it. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. But it's not just Peter and Paul cranking down on us and telling us this is the way you need to live. This comes from the mouth of Jesus himself. Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke chapter 6. Love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. <laughs> Love your enemies. What? I don't even like them. Okay, so, so the first, love is not an emotional attachment. Love is acting right towards these people regardless of your emotions. And you and I, as children of God, have been called to choose in that moment to act right. You and I have been called that in that moment when we are dealing with difficult people, we are not to pay back evil for evil. We are not to bring an insult every time they insult us. Instead, we are to stop and pray that God would bless them with his grace and mercy as he has blessed us. That is what you have been called to. Peter is abundantly clear right here. Paul was clear. Jesus was clear. So the question I need to ask you is, will you listen to that call? Will it change the way you live? Will it change the way you speak? Will it change the way you respond? No? Then you have a significant problem with God. The way you handle difficult people affects your relationship with God. Much like in verse 7 of chapter 3 when, when Peter says, Husbands, you need to dwell with your wives in an understanding way and honor her. As a co-heir with Christ, you need to do these things. And if you don't, your prayer life is going to be affected. Well, same thing happens here. The way you handle difficult people affects your relationship with God. Look at verse 10. For the one who wants to love life, who wants to see good days. Okay, God wants to give you this something good. God wants to give you this gift, but there's a condition to it. That condition is verse 11. I'm sorry, the end of verse 10. Keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil. That turn away literally means lean as far away from it as you can. Let him lean away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace. Let him pursue peace. Guys, I'm going to say this plainly as I can. You can't respond to people like a jerk and expect God to ignore it. This is what he's told us to do. So, in the last months, I've had some opportunity to share some of this with different individuals uh, in our church, and, and those who I've talked to, I asked permission to, to use some of their quotes, and they've given me permission, so I appreciate that. I'm not going to give them the names, but uh, so this one, I, I actually used this phrase, you can't respond like a jerk to difficult people and expect God to ignore it. And their initial, immediate response was, but it doesn't work. If I'm nice to them, if, I'm, if, I, if I don't take them out at the knees after they've come after me, if I don't take them down on social media, if I don't attack them, then, then they're never going to hear what I have to say. 
Well, turn back a page, chapter 2, verse 21. Peter has something to say about that, too. You were called to this because Jesus Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Please note, nowhere does Peter say, you should get them to listen to you. You have one goal. It's follow in the steps of Jesus' example. What does that example look like? Keep reading verse 22. He did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. You were called to follow the example of Jesus, not to be heard. The other a quote that I'll give you is, but they're going to get away with it. If I don't call this out, if I don't go nuclear on them, they're just going to get away with it. Nobody's going to hold them accountable. They're going to get away with it. I have three responses to that. First, you have not been called to be God's enforcer. Second, that is a level of arrogance that's difficult to comprehend. What you are saying by saying they're going to get away with it, if you don't bring about retaliation, is you are saying that if you don't act, God can't. Third, you need to spend some time understanding who God is and the promises he's made to us. I mean, look at verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His eyes are on us, not in judgment. More more like, um, more like a mom whose babies are crawling all over the place on the living room floor, but never out of the eyesight of mom. Not because she's judging, because she wants to offer protection and care. God says his eyes are on us. He says the ears of the Lord are open to our prayers. He hears us. Maybe nobody else does, but he does. He's listening. And the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. His face is against the evildoers. We can trust him to bring the positive consequences to us when we obey, we can also trust that he knows their foolishness and will bring about the just judgment for their sin. So uh, that's what it looks like to live differently with difficult people. We can trust that God's got this. We can trust him even more when we spend time reflecting on what he's done for us already and what he's promised to do. We, we live in a day and an age where division and hatred is on full display. And it's not, even, it's not even shrunk back a little. It's not hidden at all. So would you commit to being different than that? Would you trust God to handle his end of the deal? To fulfill his promise as you seek to faithfully obey what your end of the deal is? Church, let's be different. Let's be different. Father God, I thank you for difficult passages and texts like this. I thank you that even when inconvenient, your truth is still true and powerful. We, we certainly find ourselves living in an incredibly divisive and argumentative day. So Lord, as we hear your word as it's commanding us, we ask that we would live in obedience 
by your grace, I pray you would help us to grow in obedience. Help us to, to be a blessing more than to long to be heard. Father, help us to seek to, to be a blessing instead of seeking to win an argument. Protect us from taking the bait that's out there. Lord, I pray you'd give us the grace and strength we need to not answer a fool according to their folly. Somehow have the strength to remember that a gentle answer turns away wrath. Lord, instead of speaking argumentative words, may we speak words of gospel hope into the darkness. God, thank you for what Jesus Christ has done for us already. Thank you for the hope we have in Christ. As we seek to follow him, God, I pray you would fill our eyes full of the blessings that are already ours, not even in the least of which is a confident hope we can live with knowing that Jesus Christ died for me. It's in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.